So I'll talk not about myself, but about one of my big heroes, Dick Feynman, who is perhaps familiar to some of you since he's been a bit in the public eye recently as one of the commission investigating the shuttle accident. Dick Feynman was... It was, this was one of my enormous pieces of luck when I came to the United States as a student 30, what was it, 39 years ago. Uh, I ran into him right away. He happened to be a professor at Cornell, an absolutely unique individual. And he's just published a book, which I recommend very strongly. The title of the book is Surely You're Joking, Dr. Feynman. And that... Uh, title is taken from the story, which I'm just going to tell you. It was a tea party in Princeton. Princeton, as you might know, some of you may have been there, is a very stuffy place. And <laughs> when Feynman was young, it was even stuffier than it is now. And the embodiment of Princeton stuffiness was a lady called Mrs. Eisenhart, who was the social director of Princeton, who decided what was done and what was not done. And she gave these, these terrible tea parties every Sunday. <laughs> At, at which the people who mattered in Princeton were invited and she poured the tea. Anyhow, uh, so Dick Feynman, then a young graduate student, was invited to one of her tea parties and so he came up in line with his cup and she was pouring the tea and she said in the customary fashion, will you have lemon or will you have cream? And he said, both please. <laughs> and so she, she was absolutely taken aback Nobody had ever said that before. And she said, surely you're joking, Dr. Feynman. <laughs> Anyhow, the, the moral of the story is that f that's the way Feynman has lived all his life. That's why he's had such a good and interesting and exciting life, that he always said yes to the lemon and to the cream. And uh, it's, it's important to do that. And I, I have a feeling my own life has been enriched in the same fashion. You see, I was... For me, the lemon was physics and the cream was writing books. And, and I have had an interesting life as a physicist up to about the age of 50. And then suddenly, somebody offered me the cream. That the, 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 I got into the business of writing books for the general public. And it's opened up, out a, a new world for me. It's, it's opened so many horizons. I've made innumerable new friends as a result of becoming a literary person, not just a scientist. Always keep your eyes open for opportunities of that sort. You, you don't get trapped into a narrow field and think you have to be there forever. It's also important, as Dick Feynman discovered, to be able to say no. It's, you, you have to say yes whenever exciting opportunities come up. But it's also important to say no when things don't work out well. And, I mean, that's another case in point. When Dick was a young man, he got into the bomb project in Los Alamos, and he did spectacularly well. He was one of the brains at Los Alamos, one of the leading people, although he was very young. He was exceedingly good at designing bombs, it turned out. So he said, he said yes to Los Alamos, and he had a great time there. But afterwards, he looked back on it rather soon, before most of us, he looked back on it and saw that it wasn't any good, you know, that actually having made these bombs hadn't not made the world any safer. It may have, done a, it may have been a necessary job, and it probably was a necessary job, but after 1945, it didn't make much sense anymore. 
And so Dick just said no. From that time on, he was never going to be involved in any, any longer with bombs or with anything military. He just gave up his military clearances. The rest of his life, he wasn't going to have anything to do with that. And that's the way he's lived. He also, he's one of the very few people who was elected to our prestigious and glorious National Academy of Sciences and then quit. That's uh, for very good reasons. He just found that the Academy of Sciences was a group of stuffy old people who spent their time discussing, <laughs> discussing who they're going to elect next year. And he had enough of that. He just decided, well, life is too short. Let me just finish up. I don't want to take more time, but one more story. That was another very good friend of mine who has had a tough, in many respects, a tough life. He was an Englishman who also was trained as a physicist. In England, of course, we had a longer war than you did. In, in our, in our World War II started in 1939 and went on for six years. I was very lucky. I came into the war only for the last two years. It didn't seriously interrupt my life. I'm, you know, two years is, is not such a huge amount of time. My friend Francis Crick had a much harder time of it. The war hit him really at very much the worst time of his career. He had just been trained as a physicist. He was just ready to start as a physicist. And then the war came along in 1939. And so he was out of science for six years. And six years, of course, is a long time, especially for somebody young. So I ran into him in 1945. We were both working for the war by that time. And he was very, very depressed. He said, gosh, I'll never be able to do anything with my life anymore. He, he was, you know, he, he'd been trained as a physicist, but in six years he'd forgotten everything he ever learned. He said, it's just hopeless. The young people will just be far ahead of me. I can't go back to school and begin again. What the hell can I do with my life? And so he was very miserable and depressed. And, and he said, well, maybe the only hope for him perhaps is to start over and be a biologist. And... Uh, <laughs> Well, it wasn't very long, of course, before he discovered the double helix and got his Nobel Prize. <laughs> and now he's alive and well and living in La Jolla. <laughs> Anyhow, that's enough. I think the main thing is always keep your eyes open for opportunities. Say yes to everything that turns up and try it. And if it doesn't work, say no. LAUGHTER